Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Fitzell, alongside Steve Smith. Welcome to episode number eight. And tonight we're going to be talking about the serve. Steve, two months. We're on a roll. We are going to cover different strokes, but this is the first one, probably the most important shot in tennis to serve. But yeah, we'll we'll go through some other strokes as we go along here. But tonight, the serve. Um, also, Vic Braden. Six years ago. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Vic, Vic passed away. Yeah. And those of our listeners certainly know that we mention Vic's name every day. Yeah. Um, I'll tell a story about Vic related to the serve. I was working for him in Southern California, and Gene Austin called him up in his office. And one of my jobs was to put slides in a carousel. Back in those days, and Gene was asking what Vic thought of Tracy having Roy Emerson as a coach. Mm. Of course, Vic gave Roy a great recommendation. But then after uh, the phone call, Vic saying, I wish I knew this when I was teaching Tracy to serve. Mm. And it's really how, how the loop is formulated. Yeah. And we'll go through that. Yeah. But one thing with the serve, the term serve comes from the garden days of tennis, when tennis was... A garden party. Yeah. And the servant put the ball in play from the side of the court. <laughs> but for some of us, unfortunately, we have to serve the ball ourselves. But as you said, it's the most important shot. It's the first shot. Sometimes it's the only shot. And you're really looking for three positives. One is an ace. The next is a service winner. And the next is to have your opponent hit a weak return. Yeah. Um, with, uh, I'll tell you a story. Brian Wilson, he worked... Uh, with one of our former students, Craig Tiley, at the University of Illinois. So Brian was sent to work with us a, a number of occasions. So he was at our place, and then he left. And, you know, one of the juniors told us that he beat Karlovic, 7-6, 7-6. Of course. I actually had to tell the story correctly, is that someone said Brian Wilson beat Karlovic. And then someone in the back of the van guessed. It must have been 6-6. Six six. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think of, uh, I think Ryder DeHart and Jeremy Wurtzman, I I would bet dollars to donuts that both of them beat Isner. You know, whether it was in college tennis or where they first started playing futures, entry-level pro tournaments. But I do remember anybody that we've had that beat uh, Isner six and six. A couple of tiebreakers. Yeah, I'll have to look yeah, that up. The big guy serving, um, um, Riley Opelka, he's a man now, but when he was a boy, he had just won junior Wimbledon. And my son, Connor, uh, he he won. I can't remember what the score was, but Riley Opelka hit 24 aces. Which 24 is a magic number. That's actually the number of points you have to win to win a set. Yeah. But with our students, share with the listeners, the first thing we do is we film a player. Yeah. And if they're uh, at a higher level, you know, stage development, we don't do this with a beginner, but we film from three angles. If it's a second serve, you know, what, what we don't do um, with the beginners, we just see film their serve. But if it, if it is a more advanced player, we film first and second. Yeah. So then we analyze it. We make a narrated slow motion analysis. And then we have to go to work. We use Don Leary's word picture method, but we combine all these other tennis teachers with his idea of the word picture method. Yeah. If our listeners would go to YouTube and put two words together, tennis smith, 
and just put tennis myth word picture method, you'll see you know, half dozen kids going through yeah. images for the serve. Uh, like, for example, Victor Lillo, who won the Orange Bowl and won the La Petite, he trained with us for uh, five years. Mm-hmm. He's on that. Uh, Jim Morgan, a teaching pro in Dallas, uh, he he went through our methodology, yeah. methodologies, and um, his daughter plays college tennis. She's in the snow, um, Boise, Idaho, going through where they used to live, going through the word picture method. I tell the young players to make a poster, um, a list of the images. Yeah. So, you know, a hammer grip is when you have all your fingers bunched together. I mean, Pancho Gonzalez, as great as his serve was, he had a hammer grip. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you want to spread your fingers out, especially the index finger. Yeah. So we tell people, you know, tap the racket like a hammer. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're going to have handcuffs. Like, yeah. put your hands like a baseball player taking a ball out of the glove. You're standing on a skateboard. Dennis Vandermeer, all these ideas, like to tell people where they came from, is he used to have two bathroom scales on the court. Put all your weight on the front foot, and then you transfer your weight back. Mm-hmm. And the term unloading. So we have these kids go skateboard, bathroom scale one, bathroom scale two. And we have as many images as there are letters in the alphabet. Yeah. Always adding too. I mean, finding more creative ways to. Yeah. So for example, uh, we used to say like a third base position in baseball, but you know, kids don't play baseball so much. So now we say the Cobra position and it's not to complicate it, but you have the kids go through it slowly and they do it in a logical sequential order. Now they have to, just say, okay, what do they do with their right hand? What do they do with their left side? You hang onto the ball like a glass of water. Yeah. Now the details actually, if you turn your hand in in more like this, your arm is looser. Right. It actually helps you with your toss. The toss, you know, the, the radial point of the wrist can take the ball everywhere. Yeah. Just for the listeners at home, if you hold your left hand, if you're a right-handed player, if you hold your tossing hand up with your palm facing the sky, your arm's going to be a little tight and it's tougher to uh, to rotate. And then the tendency is to toss it over your head. So if you hold it more with your palm down, although it's weird for most people, glass of water, you'll keep your arm loose. Yeah, we tell people, hang on to the ball like a glass of water. Keep the ball on your hand till shoulder level. You make a letter J. If you're right-handed, you're taking the toss. First serve out to a giant clock, one o'clock. Gary Alper, a teaching pro in Cincinnati, his son um, came to a camp one time, and he's the one who said, just pretend you're taking a piece of bread and you're feeding a giraffe. Yeah. Because you do want to go slow, with the, the toss going upward. Yeah. With uh, the motion of the, with the right hand, the cobra, then as the shoulder goes forward, it's the comb the hair action, the salute position. Now, you can't see with you and I how the racket, the kids will say, clears the shelf. Yeah. It goes about five feet for a, a great server, that horizontal plane. Yeah, centrifugal force takes it away from your back. Yeah, so it's scratch your friend's back. Yep. We'll talk about some myths here in a minute. Scratch the back is a myth. With uh, how your arm's at a 90-degree angle, where, you know, listen to Seashell, talk on the telephone, but how you put your hand in this position, throw the football. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they can slowly go through it. So after they go through the word pitcher method, and we ask parents, is your child doing exactly this? Because mm-hmm. people come in and they'll have a video made, they... You know, they'll fly, get off the airplane. Their parents were in a car. They check into a hotel. And it's okay. This is how you're going to rebuild your serve. Yeah. Um, you tell the parents to put up mirrors, you know, in the garage or the playroom, wherever they have space. So they have the, the list, the poster, the chart. Mm-hmm. 
and then they need to hang a string from the ceiling. Yeah. And the string comes right down to their impact point. Yeah. Because you're better off to program the swing. I always ask people what's more important, the swing or the toss, and they'll say the toss, but no, the swing's more important. Yeah. The riddle, does the racket find the toss? Does the toss find the racket? You know, that's where Bobby Riggs would play people for money and say, I'll wear a blindfold every other game. <laughs> exactly. Because he could serve with his eyes closed. Yeah, program your swing and then toss to your swing. You know, then you set up mirrors. And ideally, it's better not just to have mirrors on one side. So you can be pretty elaborate putting mirrors up. But fair enough if you just put them in front of you. Yeah. Foam balls, um, ping pong paddles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if people go, yes, yes, yes. Okay, we've watched the tape three times. We sent notes. We've, um, we've and, and, all, and we have it in writing where, okay, here's the word picture method. Yeah. And, you know, some people, start, they start, we had people just ridicule, just that's wrong. That's just too much. That's crazy. Um, we do it all the time. Have people learn with their opposite hand and they have to really, really process. Yeah. So to, to make it efficient. One, one basic that's agreed upon is the throwing motion. I mentioned um, yep. in one of the podcasts about the movie, The Little Mo, where She's throwing the racket, Maureen Connolly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's documentaries on the Williamses, and generally you'll see where both girls are throwing the racket, yeah, like a baseball. I know on your Instagram, <laughs> I saw where you put one of that, one of those uh, up as an example: a young girl throwing the racket and springing after and it, after it. Yeah, I've had that up a couple times. One of them uh, we had when Mackie McDonald was out here with us. He, I had him and George Goldoff uh, doing that. In the grass, the one with the girl, you know, it was on the cement. You got to do it with a, with a broken old racket. So people were kind of um, not ridiculing, but they were concerned about the racket. But it was, you got to do it with broken rackets. But it's one of the best drills you can do. Just get out there and throw. And, and there is a great footage of Venus and Serena, who arguably have two of the best serves of all time in women's tennis um, to, to doing, di- that, doing to, that drill. To digress, uh, young girls, she's well taught by Cole Reeves. Girl, young girl from Arkansas, um, mm-hmm. Alanis Hamilton. She won the 14s Southern sectionals. I don't think it was really a full draw because of the pandemic, but mm. it's, you know, you got to thrive on criticism, not compliments. So somebody on Instagram, she was throwing the racket and the comment was, where's the sprint? Oh yeah. It was, yeah. Throw, throw and sprint. And to her defense, it was, uh, you know, she'd been doing the drill for 15 minutes or so. She was, well, she was, was, after pretty, she was pooped out. Too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With, uh, but yeah, she's working on, working on the legs. I hear something that every kid should have in their bag. You take an old tube sock, a baseball sock, you, mm-hmm. put, you put three balls in it. It's a baseball trick. Yep. Baseball coaches do it with a baseball. And if your palm turns up, the balls in the sock come back and hit you yeah. in the head. Instant feedback. Um, and again, you could loosen your shoulder up. But, go, and, you know, a lot of times people do it incorrectly. Speaking of Victor Lillo, I remember taking him to a USTA clinic. And he he's, he's, uh, had a problem with his elbow going too high. But he had such great passion when he swing that sock, he would go too fast. Yeah. Um, a young Russian girl that we work with, uh, Tasia um, Sorkin. Yeah. Too fast. Too fast. The, the elbow goes up high. The athletes in biocomputer, they're programmed. Yeah. So to change that. But anyway, at this clinic, um, I said, if you, you don't want to play the blame game, but if you're going to play the blame game, go back to the very first coach. That's mm-hmm. how powerful, how sophisticated the brain is. Right. And everybody's listening and there's coaches in the room. <laughs> and I said, the very first coach 
That's me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you got to be careful um, with the sock. Yeah. You know, the speed of the backswing has nothing to do with the power supply. So go slow and do it properly. One thing, uh, just going back to the word picture method, you know, it obviously works great with younger players, but also adults, you know, professional players. I think everybody likes to see an image, a picture in their mind. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's something they can relate to. So I think, you know, as far as the word picture method goes, it's it's for everybody. I think most people would, would agree that it's it's a visual game, you know, as far as... Well, it needs to be simplified. The 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 acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Mm. You know, we always tell people, well, um, the kid's not stupid. You don't want to underestimate the capacity of the learner, but right. you, you definitely want to simplify. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, a lot of times people, doc, doctoral jargon, they're throwing out the $14 yeah. biomechanical terms and trying to impress people. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's to make it simple, make, make it work. Um, yeah. Throwing footballs. Um, you know, it used to be, you know, you'd go to a picnic and you'd play catch with your baseball, with, mm-hmm. with your uncle, for example, with mm-hmm. baseball. And for the longest time, it wasn't fair for women. Sports was not fair. And that's where the term, thankfully, has gone away, tomboy. Years ago, if, if a girl liked sports, they were called a tomboy. Mm-hmm. But if someone thought it, you had to really recruit muscles and, you know, it was more like the shot put, you know, they, they'd be all, oh, the boy would be, would be told, oh, you throw like a girl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's so, so important. I think that is a basic that people agree upon that yeah. uh, the service motion is like throwing. So yeah. you have to work on that. Um, with, uh, let's go through some myths. Yeah. I think with, it's pretty fitting with Vic Braden. Speaking about Vic, he, he busted a lot of myths on the serve. I was lucky to, you know, learn initially how to teach the serve through Vic. What do we got? What's number one on the list? Well, let me add to that. As far as learning, I tell people that I, um, especially in the beginning, I, think of my first 10 years in tennis, I learned, uh, I learned how not to teach tennis <laughs> more so than how to teach tennis. Uh, yeah. Let me throw this one out. And you can comment toss high for more time. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Common sense notion. <laughs> high toss gives you more time for more extra moves. Brady would say it gives you more time to be crummy. <laughs> exactly. Best servers in the history of the game, low and out to the right. Yeah. You know, I if think you're right-handed. Yeah. Even Nisevich. He yep. was lowing out to the left yep. where so many people are just tossing high. Now the brain can be programmed. Sure. But again, if you just go from, you know, you think of, you know, Roscoe Tanner, he hit the ball at the apex. Yeah. But people just thought he was hitting on the way up. Yeah. Kevin Curran, same thing. Kevin Curran, amazing serve. John Newcomb. I mean, yep. um, and, you know, besides the toss being too high, there's three dimensions of the toss. How about this one? Um, Arch your back, toss over your head, toss to the left. No, I mean, um, my last thought just quickly on on the tossing low, it's becoming more readily accepted. You know, Vic was ridiculed for that. I mean, you know, you were right there in the heyday when he was talking about having a low toss. You got a lot of grief over that. And nowadays you hear it, even, even the commentators are saying, you know, when players have tosses that are too high or they're talking about players that have lower tosses, you know, tosses that I would consider a low toss. Oh, if we're working with a student, it's a safe bet. When they go somewhere else, they're going to be told to toss higher. Yeah. They're going to be told to toss higher. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to turn and then toss. 
Yeah. We always tell people when you can't sleep at night, you toss and turn. Yeah. But just think turn, then toss. Go slow, hang on to the ball. Um, it's it's amazing. Most people have the ball suspended in the air, and then they start to coil their body. Yeah. And it makes it much more complicated. Yeah, exactly. So there's three dimensions to the toss. Um, why don't you comment a little bit on front and back? And then left to right, not just up and down. Yeah, I know the next one you had there was arch back, but um, no, front and back. I mean, you want to have the toss out in front, especially for the first serve. I mean, both serves as far as you can, but with the second serve, it'll, you can bring it back a little bit more so you can increase the upward angle, hit more spin, so it comes back. And if you're right-handed, a little bit more to the left. But for the first serve out in front, usually the first thing I have people do when they're going to work on their first serve, especially when they want more speed, is to toss the ball further in front so you can get, you know, to be fancy internal rotation of the upper arm. But if you just, if you're at home, if you just shadow swing with your serve, like you're going to throw your racket, you'll hear the swish if you're right-handed way out in front and to the right. So it's like, hey, common sense notion, put the ball where the racket's going fast, where you hear the swish. So that's the first thing as far as, you know, front and back. Left to right, same thing. So you'll hear it off to the right. The way the shoulders just naturally unwind, like if you were throwing a ball. Um, and then that's safer for your arm as well. You know, and Vic would talk about if you toss the ball further to the right, let's say at a one o'clock or so, you lose maybe about an inch and a quarter as far as height goes. So you lose a teeny bit of height. Um, but, you know, you keep your shoulders safe, your back safe. You can hit it harder. It's a little more natural. Coming back to the picnic, you're throwing balls with your nephew, your niece and they're very young, you're going to let go of the ball back here because you're just throwing very slowly. Now, you can just look at the sidelines of a college football game, pro football game. Yeah. The pros are actually going through the full motion, but they're trained to do it where they're doing it very slowly. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're not going to rifle the ball at a six-year-old and play and catch. <laughs> um, Muhammad Ali, I think of uh, when Vic Braden was working with Gideon Ariel, and I'll, you know, Muhammad Ali was just so so good with his jab, his mm -hmm. jab, action, reaction, and they were doing some research. Yeah, and they got a phone call. Stop telling people what Muhammad does. <laughs> and then it was, wow, what do you mean? He said, trust us. Yeah, you just want to stop. <laughs> it was like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but you think of a myth like down together, up together. Yeah, that's one of the reasons people toss high. Yeah, I always tease and say, you know. You know someone's a really good student. And this is, women are better students than men. All you have to do is watch an adult clinic. And the women are up here with their arms. Yeah. Because they heard down together, up together. Yeah. And so when they go down and back up with a two-ounce tennis ball, uh, that ball's way up in the air. Yeah. And also, too, they've been taught to scratch their back. Well, yeah. you know, to make that racket go down in this position. So one myth really supports the other one. Right. And I know we were watching uh, George the other night at the U.S. Open. And he has a little bit of that down together, up together look. And we were thinking and we were saying out loud, oh, I'm pretty sure he was taught this. Oh, yeah. You can, you can, almost, guess what, you can almost guess what young people were taught. Yeah. To digress, um, back in the day working uh, at the Braden Tennis College, there would be 72. It was booked. 72 adults, Monday through Friday, 72 adults on the, on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Hmm. And it was very easy to guess their professions. Yeah. yeah. You're an engineer, aren't you? Right. <laughs> You're pretty tight in the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. You know, big brain, the accountant, 14 cents a shot. <laughs> and, you know, the marketing person is like, can we just start having some fun? Yeah. Uh, so with uh, the trophy look, 
Yeah, I know you know the history of uh, Les Stofan Sr., I believe it was, or was it Les Stofan Jr.? Well, Les Stofan Sr. Senior. in the 30s, he had one of the best serves. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was, you know, a little bit after Tilden, but he was hitting the serve um, faster than anybody else. And the sculptor, you can see the statue at the U.S. Open. It looks very similar. And yeah. the sculptor wanted Stofan to be in the trophy look, yeah. you know, put your elbow like this, because he turned like a baseball pitcher and said, no, this is how I do it. Yeah. And the sculptor said, no, 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 I don't like that. Yeah. If you think back, and maybe it's still done, I know when I was a kid, the high school yearbook would have a picture of the quarterback. You know, the quarterback would have their arm out like this. And right. The elbow would be down. Yeah. It looked like they're ready to throw a shot put. There's no shoulder rotation. Also, it's amazing. You know, you hear that trophy look. Ah, oh, you got to get the trophy look. You got to get the trophy look. Yeah. It's not what you want. You don't want the elbow. You don't want the, the chain puller syndrome, like someone riding the bus and they want the bus to stop. They pull the chain. Right. No, I was saying how I, I think the trophy position pose as far as trophies go i think it's changed over time it's improved a little bit the technique where the elbow is not so low like it used to be um, where there was a real low elbow and no body rotation i think there's a little bit more body rotation and a little bit higher elbow what you would see when the racket's kind of in that position you know the salute position where okay that's that's the trophy pose i think that most people think about but years ago the, the trophy pose with that low low elbow really want to stay away from well one thing about the trophy i tell young junior tennis players yeah okay you don't want to be so hung up on winning the two-inch trophy playing the wrong way mm -hmm. but the trophies that you really want to win they don't have that little guy on the top <laughs> that's <laughs> true getting the serve <laughs> so um that's true here's another one snap down yeah i mean um i think we think about contact snapping your wrist down you know the a kind of a forward fold um you know that's that's a myth where the forearm pronates i mean you might see a teeny bit of that but it's passive so pronating the forearm you know and the and the wrist everything turning out if you're right hander to the right left hander to the left that you don't try to literally fold your wrist forward as you mentioned we'll talk about each stroke but say the overhead People, they're close to the net. They just think they can hit down. Yeah. And that's one shot that you have to swing up more than any of the other shots. Right. You know, when, you know, it, just logic tells us we want the ball to go straight to the box. Mm -hmm. So we put the palm up, the pizza position, the patty cake serve. Right. Especially when you first start playing. The um, Oscar Wagner. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, back in the 70s, I remember, I had a van traveling around. And I had all these cassette tapes in Oscar at the Fort Lauderdale Tennis Club. I remember he used to love to join me and listen, you know, park the van courtside and in between uh, practice sessions. Excuse me. And when it comes down to um, an ID he has in the serve that's great, Oscar Wagner, is to snap down. You have to get the ball out to the right. You have to get the ball out in front. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of ideas. Once you know the problem, then you can come up with a solution. If you don't know the problem, you're not going to come up with a solution. Right. It's like taking someone and say, run run to the net, first walk, then jog, then run, then sprint. <laughs> and can you hit two or three serves going forward? But if you toss really high, you can't do it. Yeah. So there's ways to uh, get people to make the change where it's it's not servo, so verbose. Yeah. It's okay. Here's an exercise. That you don't have to overthink. Yeah, exactly. um, arching your back um, 
it really looks like the players are arching their back, but they get the rotation from the ground, start yeah. the rotation from the ground up, a right-hander, they really have to turn their left hip to the net post to the right. Um, and then you, you know, you, you can be very supple and very loose in your upper body, but most people arch the back. It looks like they're doing the limbo. Yeah. The only positive with that, it's almost like they're doing a sit up, standing up. <laughs> so they start to get pretty strong abs, but you know, they're going to end up uh, going to see the chiropractor, the orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. I mean, I know, I think a couple of players, um, obviously are, had great careers or legends, Patrick Rafter and Stefan Edberg had a little bit of that with the kick serves going over their head a little too far and, you know, had shoulder and Tommy lower back Haas. problems. Tommy Haas twice yeah. in one year. Yeah. So you gotta be, you gotta be careful. But I think that's one problem in tennis where the orthopedic surgeon, the physical therapist and the diagnostic coach, they don't all work under the same roof. Right. And then actually it sounds negative, but many times the coach is not diagnostic. Okay. There's a flaw you know, what's the cause of the flaw and what's the cure? Right. And, and, you know, great players have had surgery. They come back and they, they're still serving the same way. Yeah. Still serving the same way. Yeah. How about it's another myth. It's all in the legs. Yeah. I mean, the legs by themselves, just going down and up, you know, produce very little speed. Vic used to always say, you know, most people can't jump up in the air a foot. Um, but so he never saw me jump though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, can't, I can't jump over popsicle stick. <laughs> but so yeah, with the legs, I mean, I think that it's misunderstood a little bit. The legs initiate the uncoiling of the body. The other day I put up um, a video. It was actually on my own personal Instagram, but just serving for my knees. Now, I'm not a big guy, but I can serve over a hundred miles per hour on my knees and uh, because, you know, I mean, your knees become the stabilizers. So that's what you push up. But but just going down and up isn't going to give you a lot of speed. In Vic's research, he found it's about six miles per hour. And others have said about 10%, which, you know, I'd rather be serving 110 than 100. But, but a lot of people just try to really overdo the knee bend down and up. But it's really how you go around and up, coiling well, and uncoiling. I think Andy Roddick is one of the best interviews in tennis. Mm -hmm. I, there must be a certain number when you're, when you're finally asked, how do you hit the serve so hard? Mm -hmm. Because he had the best answer for the longest time. He used to just say, I don't know. <laughs> but then uh, I know now that I've seen some clips where he's saying it's in the legs. It's all in the legs. Mm -hmm. Well, the first segment that reaches destiny in the kinetic chain is the back knee turning in. But it's not a matter of going down, up, you know, like you're throwing the shot put. Yeah. And I really... You know, maybe I maybe that's a weak word. Probably is a weak word. Um, I don't know the shot put. My mother used <laughs> to have us say that. Say I don't know. <laughs> well, but no, the legs. It's it's how the the body coils and uncoils. It's, right. it's not down up. Yeah, and you you can just see that kids a lot of times they have knee flexion because they've heard it's all in the legs. Yeah, and they don't have have knee rotation. Yeah, just big knee bend. Anything yep. else on mist? There's so many of them. Oh, gosh. Um, I think, you know, jumping was another one that, that Vic would always talk about. You know, you don't want to try to jump. He'd say you can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. So if you're off the ground too soon, before your forearm reaches maximum speed, you lose power. You know, again, can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. You can't push off of air, you know, ground reaction force to uh, unwind the body length. So yeah, you want to stay in contact with the ground until the last segment of the kinetic chain 
fires out. Um, so that's where, if you watch the top players, you know, you just think about Federer, how relaxed he looks, you know, so you don't need to rush. Yeah. But it's really, uh, the kinetic chain is more powerful than muscle can contract. Yeah. So it, it, it's a matter of coiling and uncoiling. With, um, yep. I have this written down, Mark Dixon, Beyond Basics. I think a Little League Baseball, <clears throat> where you don't want to be teaching a, a really, really young player how to, you know, throw a curveball and a knuckleball. Just teach them how to throw a ball. Mm. And in baseball, they count how many pitches. Now, the weight of the baseball and the fact you, you don't have the racket, there's more injuries. There's more problems with tennis elbow in baseball than there is in tennis. Mm. But Mark Dixon, he's, uh, I think, a little younger than me. His dad used to come out and just hang out. And we had a backboard, a place I worked at for 15 years. He um, hits, hits the balls against the backboard. He just watches, he just loved tennis. Well, Mark, he loved the backboard. And he used to always hit serves. I remember Brad Gilbert, when he played, uh, and he played the same time Mark Dixon played, so he had the best second serve in tennis. Dixon's story is great. He went to the Jesuit High School in Tampa, and he was like, he played number five and worked his way up. And then he went to Clemson, and he played number five, and he worked his way up. And, I mean, I could tell stories. It would be better to call him up and have him tell some stories of how he beat Lendl or how he beat Vilas. But I, I took my son Connor to take three lessons from Mark Dixon, and, and that's why I wrote down Beyond Basics. Mm. And you do want to get to the point where you're teaching people to hit a slice and to hit a kick. and um, But like a baseball pitcher, and, and you have to go out and spend hours and hours. It's like a musician, someone who can really play the saxophone, is you are going to move your hands slightly from one grip to the next. The very, very elite servers. And it's, it's amazing. A lot of times they're not in a position where they they intellectualize. They, they're good at articulating what they do. So you can change your hand on the grip slightly and you can change the, the toss slightly. You can't telegraph the toss where they know where you, what serve you're going to hit. And then also how you, um, it's kind of like somebody who's really good at uh, billiards, really good at pool. That means they have a misspent youth. They spent a lot of time. <laughs> Let's have a table to their house. They spent a lot of time in the pool house and not a lot of things, good things happen at the pool hall. I'm an excellent pool. Are you? No. <laughs> but with, uh, you know, and when you hit the cue ball and you want to hit the eight ball, you know, what do you want that, what do you want that to happen? And there, there's a lot of spin involved. Yeah. So when it comes down to injury prevention, young players need to be taught a basic service motion. And, and, and most of them are way off and they're way off for their first, you know, really it can be five years. Mm-hmm. You meet someone, they're 13 years old. Um, and, but, you know, if you watch pro tennis, and people should realize when we talk about the pros, we're not, not saying the pros need to change. We're just talking about efficiency and inefficiency. Right, exactly. I mean, we have to respect the pros. And there's no right way. There's no wrong way. There's efficient, inefficient. But there are there are nuances to the, to the grip, to the toss, mm-hmm. where and how you strike the ball. Um, we'll, we'll get back to that when we deal with some questions. I think you have to observe to learn, you have to observe, you have to watch. And I, again, I think too many times people just start teaching. You know, to learn how to teach, you have to observe, to mm-hmm. learn how to play. Some of the martial arts, you have to just watch for a year, then you can participate. 
I worked at Tyler Junior College. I was in Tyler, Texas for 10 years. And the football culture, the Apache Bells, there was a group of girls, maybe I seemed like there was a hundred of them. And they performed halftime for football games. Mm. And they were big time. And I was there, they went to the White House twice and they went to the Super Bowl twice. Apache Bells. To me, that's big time. Well, first year students could not ask questions. You know, no such thing as a dumb question, just a question asked by a dumb kid. But just sit and watch. Just sit and watch. With uh, I wrote down three examples here in my notes. Tom Gilly. Tom Gilly, he has his own uh, sports store at Hilton Head Island. Smart guy. He was a student at the University of Chicago. So like one of the best schools in the country. And he was studying Chinese history. Hmm. So he just decides... Enough of this. I'm going to study tennis. And he joined us <laughs> at a two-year school in Texas. Makes sense. But I can remember when he was a student assistant, and we did it incognito. Don't let anybody know. Um, you know, you, you, you don't want to film anybody if you don't have permission. So we have done that where we haven't had permission. But you don't, we don't do anything with the film. And, but to go, we, so when we were training tennis teachers, it would be a local tournament. I'd say, I want you to go out and want you to film. Yeah. Film as many strokes as possible. But the nice thing about the serve, and they're standing right there, they're yeah. bouncing the ball, mm-hmm. and you can film their serve. And, I mean, you can see it all, high toss, down together, up together. Uh, most kids have a forehand grip for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, Christo Schultz, um, he was a student at Harvard, and um, he he spent time with learning how to teach tennis. And... At the time, we had trained the director and then, you know, two or three, maybe four of the coaches at the Delray Beach Tennis Center. And that's where the National 12s were being played. Mm-hmm. We filmed 50 boys and 50 girls. Right. And again, incognito. We filmed forehands, but on serves. And it was forehands was Western grip. We'll get into the forehand. And another di- another day. Another and, and to digress. <laughs> I mean, most arguments in tennis they don't get past the forehand. Yeah, now it says forehand, forehand, forehand. Well, the forehand follow through. Yeah, and the ready position now. But anyway, <sighs> Christo. Well, one other thing he had to do couldn't have been a lot of fun. He had to chart. He had people helping him out. He had to chart a thousand points. They had to watch a thousand points, and there were seven overheads hit out of a thousand points. Twelve and under. Twelve and under. But tons of fun. But anyway, fifty boys, fifty girls, just filming from behind, and um, way over ninety percent had some version of palm up. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is you know, it's a national tournament, but then those players, you know, that go on, let's say. A, couple, two, three, four, whatever, become professional players. And, you know, there's a, there are a lot of professional players that still have some form of palm up on a serve. But like you said, you know, they, they learn to do it. You hit enough balls and, and, and you do it. But there are a lot of pros out there that, yeah. that do have some form of palm up. Another scholar, I mentioned just three examples, Tom Gilly, Crystal Schultz, and then Radina Lilov, uh, Victor Lilov's older sister. And we were at an academy. And there's a tournament. There's a lot of downtime. But I said, what I want you to do is I want you to go observe, serve lessons. Mm-hmm. And what will happen many times is, and this, this is what I asked her to look for, is the player has palm up 
and you're observing a lesson and they're never told they have palm up. Palm up equals elbow down. Yeah. Um, so yep. let's talk about application. So <clears throat> over time, we've acquired a lot of information. But what's more important is applied information, the application. Exactly. You know, the art is where you start. The information, to just put it in four components, it's grip, swing, body, and toss. Yeah. With, um, I think, a progressions. Dennis Vandermeer was excellent with progressions. You have to show people the whole method. So Vandermeer would demonstrate the stroke. So, yeah. okay, let me show you what the serve looks like. And then he would break it down. And when he would use progressions, he would back chain. In other words, he would start, okay, toss the ball and right. just hit on the edge of the racket. Yeah. Hit on the edge and then I'll, now turn the racket out. So now you're in this position making this 180 degree movement. Yeah, work backwards. Yeah. With... To avoid unlearning, if someone has palm up, we have a list and we certainly could add to it, but you know, 25 ways to change someone from palm up to palm down. Yeah, we'll have to make, make a video series out of that. With, um, say for example, just a two inch toss. Because when the toss goes up high, two, you know, so the both hands go up yeah. and they go up this way. With, you can you know, watch on YouTube and you can see our gestures. With uh, someone, <laughs> someone swimming. With yep. you know, have somebody, you know, hit on the wrong side of the racket, wrong side, wrong side, and then now go approach the ball wrong side, but then right the last second hit on the correct side. Yeah, wrong side, uh, wrong side, right side. But, you know, when, when someone has severe problems, it's very, very unusual that they can play and make the changes at the same time. Yeah. Because the competitive juices start kicking in ego kills and they yeah, want to win. want to win. And initially the old is better than the new. Yeah. Um, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable to make a change. Right. Actually speaking of Braden, you know, maybe back in the day it was $20 now with inflation. So here's my money for the lesson. Don't touch my strokes. <laughs> Don't touch my strokes <laughs> with, um, trying to think of Dr. Haas. He had the diet, the book, I'm sorry, Eat to Win. Yeah. And Gary Alpert, uh, who I mentioned earlier, he gave lessons to him. And, the, and the, he came out and said, I want a two-hour lesson, but don't say anything to me about strokes. <laughs> so then you know you're just going to be a sparring partner. Mm -hmm. With, um, But how to, how to begin in practice? I think really, number one, is take the player out of the context of the court. Yeah. Because they want to just, just want to see if the ball went in the box. Exactly. You can actually help someone with their strokes off the court more than you can help them on the court initially. Yeah. So if you're giving some someone a lesson on their serve, is initially observe. Ideally, I mean, emphatically, I should say film. Yeah. Then, you know, just, okay, we're going to go right up to the net because we don't care what happens with a little round yellow ball. Yeah. I mean, if you, we always say if you can take care of your swing, the swing, the swing will take care of the ball. Mm. Uh, so... Um, you know, Stan Smith has a great drill. I've heard him over decades now. It's well worth him to keep repeating it. You always hear his Federer is such a great spot server. Mm -hmm. Well, tennis, you got to be able to hit targets. Now, say, for example, most young players should just have a really good service motion, hit two second serves, and they should just be hitting into the, into the middle of the box. But they need to practice. They need to be a tennis animal. Mm. 
and you go out and, you know, years ago it was the tennis ball cans. Um, Harry Hopman used to put a tennis ball can down. And if you hit it and you hit it the very next time, he would give you a thousand dollars. I remember the late Peter McNamara, there were only two different times, like two balls in a row where you could just hit that. <laughs> now, um, you know, maybe uh, the story's grown like someone caught a fish and it was only a hundred dollars, but I believe it was a thousand dollars. Yeah. And, um, but going out, there's three spins, basically. There's a slice serve, top spin serve, flat serve. So you're in the deuce court. There's three places on the baseline. Mm-hmm. Now you go, you could say, well, I'm going to stand way out by the single sideline. You, know, you can't go outside of it because it's against the rules. Yeah. But if you have three, three spins, three locations on the baseline, that's nine. Now you have four targets. Mm-hmm. So now it's 36. And then you go to the ad court. Now it's 72. Yeah. That's a lot of serves. Yeah. That's a lot of serves. I put a video on that. It's on, uh, if you're listening and you can check out, uh, Instagram, there's a video on Stan Smith's 72 serve spots. With, uh, you have some questions. Yeah. So I put a post up today and, uh, asked for any questions that you might have on the serve and we got a pretty good response here. So we'll make this a speed round. We'll go through some questions. Um, first one I got here, um, got, they asked, uh, when I look at old footage of serving volley players, many brought the back foot parallel to the front. So meaning they, they brought their, if you're a right-handed player, their right foot in front of the left foot example, um, Patrick Rafter and, uh, cash thoughts on the back foot placement for a pinpoint stance. Well, I don't think you should look at old film. I I mean, I'm totally into the modern game. I don't think that we should go back and look at San Francisco serve. He just didn't serve that well. Yeah, exactly. No, forget those guys. Forget. I mean, we got to go with the players of today. <laughs> it's all it's all new, baby. No, I mean, I would answer that. You know, if you bring your, I was looking at Patrick Rafter, and yeah, you brought his right foot in front of his left, and it's going to open up your hips early. So if, when you're going to pinpoint, you got to try to bring it up to the instep. Rafter was very similar to Edberg. Edberg had two second serves. You think about Edberg, he didn't do very well against Connors. Connor was in. He took the return really early. Uh, yeah. It's interesting the different matchups. Yeah, but he arched his back. Now the one thing about both Edberg and Rafter is they were very effective at getting to the net. Yeah, because they weren't blasting the serve. They weren't getting as much MPH, so they could actually get closer in. Exactly. Um, and you know, I, th- I think of uh, you know Roger Federer, especially with his one hander. You know, he had more difficulty returning against Agassi than he did against Roddick. Agassi didn't have a first serve. Not relative. I mean, if you listen to Agassi, when, and I love to listen to Agassi, he was in the booth talking about a young Andy Roddick and he said, I would die for his serve. I never get any free points. Yeah, it improved over time. Yeah, anyway, but it, was, it wasn't like the big boys. No, yeah. He didn't, you know, just like, you know, some, some players, they play so well, they get, you know, two free points a game sometimes. Yeah. But then he asked, to digress, he said, well, what about, Roddick's forehand, and he said the horse has been out of the barn a long time. Yeah, and he said it's too complicated for him to get the racket in the pocket. Yeah, um, but so you know, again, he Roddick would stand further back on the return. Yeah, but you know, obviously, the best player in America for almost a decade. Yeah, but so to answer that question, the first one about the pinpoint stance, uh, you know, bring bring the back foot up to the instep would be the most efficient. You don't want to step your your back foot in front of the. Just 
uh, in front of the left foot if you're a right-handed player just because it'll open your hips up. Well, with platform, you think of someone like years ago, Gonzalez, and that's a nice thing about YouTube. You can look all this up. You have Sampras, Federer, the Canadian, Rayonich. Yeah. There's so many great players that hit platform stance. The term pin, it's like you're bringing both your feet up on a pin. And the research is you get closer to the net um, with uh, a flat serve. But you have to be careful sometimes. You know, you watch kids and they're, it should be swing step. It's not step swing. Most young players really get in trouble hitting pinpoint because they're just simply not coordinated enough. And they have too many other problems. There's not that many advanced techniques. People think there are. There's not that many advanced techniques. For example, you know, you teach a beginner to volley with a forehand grip. Someone is seven years old, you're going to teach them to volley on three. They're not strong enough to volley with a continental grip. But then you find out what an advanced technique is, is actually to have um, not quite a continental grip on the forehand volley uh, or like a karaoke step on underspin backhand one-handed to stay sideways. Yeah. But with um, most players who use a pinpoint, they do get more body, lower body rotation. And and again, it's you have to always take a second look because it's just player by player. You can't generalize. Yeah. But when it comes down to turning the right hand or turning that left hip into the net post, then you separate the lower body against the upper body. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get the deceleration, acceleration. Uh, kick in where you know the, where it looks like someone's actually climbing the ladder and the body goes up and out towards the net post at a 45 degree angle yeah um okay next question i've got here uh should one use topspin for both first and second serves i think what's where you know even with a first serve a flat serve i should say there's still some rotation on it um, it's nothing that's going through the air that's just a total knuckleball i think I could be wrong, but the numbers on Federer, I think, is about, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there, but it's about 2,400, I think, RPMs on the first serve, and then, you know, and 4,000-something on the second. But so there's going to be some spin on a first serve, on a flat serve anyway. But, yeah, you need spin to get it in. I think of Brian Wilson. It's interesting to just go back and stop. And Brian, for the very, very athletic. When he was young, he did what almost every young kid does, is they hear, hear the word flat. So use a forehand grip on the first serve, <laughs> putting the racket like this and just trying to hit that pancake serve. Mm-hmm. And then then to go to the spin grip. But you're going to use, and again, like we mentioned about the baseball pitcher, Mark Dixon, you know, if you are really struggling, you could have your hand go more towards a backhand grip. You don't have the range of motion, but you close the racket anymore. When you close the racket head, Degree for degree, just like hitting a topspin and ground stroke, backhand ground stroke, when the angle of the racket faces down, the angle of the racket path goes up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so so many factors uh, when it comes down to um, the serve. So, uh, practicing and hitting a slice, practicing hitting top. Um, when people think about a kick, um, I'm sure you have some questions on the kick serve. Yeah. So just shut up. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Keep going. When it, when it comes down to the kick serve, <laughs> um, shut up. I've heard that before. When it comes down to, uh, I, I say it most often, with TQ, total quiet. Total quiet. What makes a ball bounce high is trajectory. Yeah. And the kids in the uh, formative years, they think they're hitting a kick serve. And 
Yeah, because the ball goes higher than that, it bounces higher, but they're not hitting any speed. They're just yeah. hitting spin. Yeah. And also, too, is that just like the baseball coach counting how many pitches you've thrown, it's accumulative. Hmm. And when I see a kid tossing way over their head and they're going like this, yeah, the racket slows down. I mean, do you think people are throwing footballs like this? you think they're throwing baseballs like this? No. Nope. And it's just like, ouch. But their bodies are very supple and yeah. very res resilient. And it's like... Not going to feel it till they're 35 or... But uh, again, I think that people are trying to, you know, microwave tennis and say, okay, you know, let's get these 12-year-olds kicking the serve. Yeah. I mean, I, I told a little 11-year-old boy today, you're not going to hit the serve hard for a long time. Yeah. I mean, he can, you know, be loose and get it out to the right and, and, and hit the serve harder than he is now. But... People don't, you know, people are not acing, you know, you know, serving people off the court in the little kid age groups. Yeah. That's one of the questions is when, at what age would you start teaching a kick serve? Well, it's not just age, you know, it's ability and it's also size. Strength mm -hmm. is an issue. Um, yeah. So that's where, you know, we're going to interview more and more coaches. And I think we really need to talk to people that are in the trenches you know, with Speaking to Tracy Austin, if you get on YouTube and you uh, listen to the best players in the world, legends of the game, mm. and they're talking about strokes, Tracy's, to me, she's the best. I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost like they're lost. It's like, are they really saying that? And they're, they're <laughs> just, it's not like they're in the booth and they're just chatting about the match. Yeah. Um, so go yeah. ahead. No, um, as far as when to teach a, a kid a kick serve, I think it's individual depending on experience level, you know, where they're at. But I think it's important to teach spin, staying sideways. And that's kind of another question on the kick serve, but to hit top spin. Well, I do think when it comes down to this, the kiss method is uh, don't dummy it down to the point. So, no, yeah, you got you got to use this grip. You got to use this service motion so you can hit a slice and you, yeah. you can hit the different spots and you can, you know, hit a... a very effective topspin kick serve. You can you can reverse it, make the ball kick the other way. But um, again, coming back to the baseball pitcher is, and, and I think that's a problem. That we've talked about so many things already in these podcasts. You're elite. You're high performance, mm -hmm. and it's like no. I mean, we you just you know when it comes down to learning how to swim or skate, there's so many things you keep doing the same. I mean, I would guess it's the same in bowling. Yeah. Um, any sport, but um, to say what age it is. Um, no, I really think uh, Vandermeer said it quite well, is that um, you know, I say some young kid is volleying with an Eastern grip on the forehand side, Eastern grip on the backhand side. And you know, people say, oh, you can't hit a two-handed backhand volley. Well, all you got to do is go to YouTube. You go to our course, Tennis Intelligence Applied, we show this film of young Pete Sampras. Mm -hmm. You have a better chance of learning to hit a one-handed backhand volley by hitting two-handed. Right. And so many kids. I, mean, you, um, I told someone uh, just the other day, you know, they're, they're way beyond having played in college. And I just know that they, when they were younger, they went to one-handed backhand volley too soon. Too soon, yeah. And, and you, you can just see it, how they don't have, they didn't have the strength and there they use the left hand as a crutch. Yep. So stage development, stage development, but don't, you know, not teach it. So if you're going to teach someone, Hey kid, I want you to hit a two handed backhand volley, but you're teaching them a one handed backhand volley every day. Yeah. But when they're in drill situations and they're in match, match play, um, and they're going to go to the net, you'd be better off to stabilize that racket hitting a two handed backhand volley. If not, 
the problem is they won't even go to the net. Yeah. So, but no, you want to uh, have people uh, experiment from the beginning. You can tell someone, okay, let's toss way over your head and get the edge going up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, you just have a young player come up to the service line. They can do it from the baseline. You, um, a Vandermeer drill would be, okay, serve. How, how high can you hit the serve with the net and have it go in? Yeah. Pancho Segura would put you on the other side of the fence, put you yeah. really close to the fence. Yeah. And the young kids would palm up. You have to be very careful if they do it because if the ball hits the, the, the fence post, it yeah. comes back and hits them in the nose. <laughs> exactly. But you have to be very close to the fence and have your edge go up and you have to be able to hit the, the arc of, oh, high up over the fence. Yeah. So from the very beginning, you need to do that. I think when it comes down to, you know, I tell kids, okay, when you're hitting a topspin lob, no, it's it's easier to do that because the shoulder housing hit and the swing. Um, young players using their body um, more efficiently off the forehand. Again, if they're taught properly, but with um, if they understand a topspin lob, they should understand a kick serve. You mm-hmm. increase the upward angle. Uh, Welby Van Horn used to have the players, you know, on the second serve, they would follow through in the direction of the baseline. Mm-hmm. So they would they would hyper pronate. Yeah. So I think teach people that from the very beginning. But say, for example, kids shifting their head. We got a couple that are doing that right now, a small group we're working with. They shift their head every time. Mm-hmm. They open up every time. Mm-hmm. And then if, if they have that flaw and you say, okay, we're teaching how to kick, how to kick serve, they're going to get hurt. Yeah, exactly. They're going to get hurt. <laughs> and, and it's like, no, no, we can't even, t- we can talk to you about that, but we can't teach you how to hit a kick serve if you're shifting your head and your body's going in the, in the wrong direction. The body's leader, you're opening up. Um, yeah. So I think suffice it to say it would be, okay, make sure some of those basic fundamentals are in place. They've got a palm down serve, number one, to balance. You know, they can use the kinetic chain properly, efficiently. But it also comes back to what we talked about last week is the young coach, they don't have enough experience. They don't have enough education. They don't have enough experience. And what they're going to try to do with the kid and the kid's parents is they're going to use the wow factor. Yeah. You mean they're not teaching you a kick serve? And then the parents will, I think we're in the wrong place. I think they're going too slow. They're just teaching our children basics. They're holding them back. <laughs> and it's stay the course. Most people don't start the course, but start the course, stay the course. We tell people all the time, just hang around. We'll show you. If you want us to uh, show you film of people that we've trained and how they've done. Yeah. Go ahead. All right, I've got um, top five men and women, past or present, that most clearly represent your ideal biomechanics for the style of serve. Um, can I include myself on that? You can't include yourself. How about you? No way. <laughs> With uh, <laughs> five great servers? Yeah, I mean, I think um, past or present, men and women. I mean, the first two people that come to my mind, I mean, obviously they've got fast servers, but Serena Williams and, and Sam Groth. I was also um, thinking about Kevin Curran. If you um, go to uh, as far as being the efficient. word pitcher method and you watch Sam Groth, yeah, it looks like he's pretty much everything the whole there. Thing. <laughs> um, for me on the list, I would put uh, Richard Krychek. Yeah, I mean Yannick Noah comes to my mind. Stan Frankert used to be in charge of the Dutch Tennis Federation, where he had an instrumental role, and he uh, played tennis at USC, and he really respected Braden. And I can remember. Uh, on a number of occasions where he came out. Um, and even when I was out there years later, just visiting and spoke, Vic and I were supposed to just meet the entire day. Stan shows up, just, Hey, can I hang out? So Vic and I, we didn't talk about what we were meant to spend the day talking about. 
we just talked to Stan and it was great, but um, watch Richard Krychek serve. It's, mm. you know, we would say it's right out of the book. Mm. And we talked about that in the last podcast, the book of uh, tennis 2000. Yeah. Uh, edited from Tennis for the Future, an update. Um, even Nisevich, as far as that toss. Yeah. Curios to toss. Oh, yeah. me. Swing as well. Yeah. I watched um, Brenda Schultz McCarthy. She had toss low to the right, right hander. You know, um, Sabine Lasicki, you know, she had a high toss, but, but the swing, you know, one thing that I noticed with all the really big servers is toss out in front, usually lower. So they really get the upper arm going forward, you know, the fancy word, um, internal rotation of the upper arm, which we know is the largest contributor to ragged head speed. Um, they really do that the best. Uh, Commonality you see with all the big servers. The late Hank Jungle, he really believed in Tim Gullickson. Tim played with his brother, played tennis at uh, Northern Illinois. He was a teaching pro at Kettering Racket Club. They both were teaching pros. So, uh, but with uh, Hank, used to say, okay, there's a supermarket of tennis. And, okay, let's go look at this person's forehand. Let's look at this person's backhand. Mm-hmm. I say Medvedev, six foot six, like where he's tossing. Yeah. I mean, he is so far in front. Yeah. And most kids don't toss in front. I should say most tennis players. And, and, and I, I do that because I coach juniors, basically. I coach coaches and juniors. I mean, I've done my uh, fair share of adult tennis clinics, but... If someone starts with palm up, they have to toss back to get the ball in. They have sure. to toss behind them. Yeah. So then the rest of their days in tennis, they're going to have a tendency, the traces of the old. Yeah. They stay They stay there for a long time. Yeah. I remember my first first match I ever saw live pro tennis was Pete Sampras. And I was pretty much from the sideline, you know, just about. Um, and I was just blown away by how far in front Pete was tossing the ball. I was like, whoa, and how much body rotation he had. Um you know, Paul Anacone talks about Fetter and, and Sampras all the time. No, no panic button. Years ago, there was a um, specialist in Miami that would help kids with their athletic training. And he had them have their tongue out like Michael Jordan did. Mm-hmm. If you get cramps, a great trick. I, I saw Jan Tyriak do this. You have a player lay down. Put a towel under their neck. They close your eyes and then you pull your top lip. Because if you can relax all the muscles in your face, you can relax your whole body. Yeah. So it's a good way to get rid of body cramps. Now, when people breathe, you know, on the serve, you go up, there's two breathing patterns. You come up and you in through the nose, out the mouth. So we have people just do that five times. You just yeah. feel better. So if you watch people, they, they do that. Their shoulders are loose. They're hanging on the rack in the right hand. It's just part of the ritual. They shake out their hitting hands. Yeah. And so, but you take a breath in and then you take a breath out. Um, when you come in by Sampras, he was so loose. When um, you go up to a young player, old player, uh, and you just say, okay, you're in the ready position. You just go and you pull your ra- pull the racket. <laughs> they come with them. They come with the racket. <laughs> exactly. Almost everybody. I'm trying to stop and say that. Instead of saying everybody. Almost everybody in tennis hangs on the racket too tight. Yeah. For the longest time, they couldn't figure out in simic photography, you know, why did the racket slow down right before the hit? It's the players are just squeezing the last two fingers. Mm. And, you know, the, the top players are very, very loose. Most people try to muscle the ball. Yeah. 
I mean, we're on the kids all the time. Is that slap city? You know, they every, you know they just same with the serve. The Vanderme used to call it the blunder bust. Mm-hmm. Blunder, <laughs> the blunder bust is uh, they're just trying to slap it. Yeah, you know, the real hacker. Uh, they're just going to tee off on that first serve, and then and they just powder puff the marshmallow on the yeah. second serve. They, they beat their own serve to the net, as Vic would say. Why does Roddick pause in the trophy position? Doesn't it slow the racket down? And you know, I did three D studies with the APAS system with Gideon Ariel and Vic um, with Roddick, and you know, he had that abbreviated motion, which I know you know the story behind that. But you know, he would come up the side, and then his elbow would kind of go back down again and, and he did lose speed you know it went down to about 2.3 miles an hour i think but it didn't stop completely but you know he had that little kind of hitch or pause but what he did so well was was toss the ball way out in front and got that upper arm going forward and you know hit it like a cannon but it, you know not maybe the most efficient as far as the backswing goes but once he got that upper arm going forward he did everything well oh so well the speed of the backswing has nothing to do with the power supply. Yeah. So you can have an abbreviated backswing. You know, going back to, I think, a Jay Berger. But just meeting for Roddick, you know, he basically had to start from zero as far as where, you know, it's right. a salute position. He didn't have that, you know, 90 degrees of movement yeah. to kind of get the engine going. With um, Stan Bossier from South Africa was coaching him. And, it, you know, I my, my son was with... Uh, Oh, the the pro tennis, the challenger circuit. He was fortunate enough to spend time with Stan. Andy Roddick got a frustration. We have a film where his mother says his serve was pitiful. He had a regress palm up serve. Yeah, he did that. a lot of other things well, but he had a regress palm up serve. Yeah. So out of frustration, he just put the racket in this position. But because he was number one for so long in the U.S., that people thought that was a secret. They have an abbreviated backswing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Say, for example, someone's changing their serve. Maybe someone's heard scratch the back. You'd be much better off to just put your racket in the slew position, just toss and go. You could just say toss and bend. Make sure you get the racket that's 90 degrees going this way. Yeah. You know, some, you know, tell little kids, okay, pretend it's like a helicopter. Um, and they just palm down in this position. <laughs> you know, can you scratch your shoulder? Yeah, exactly. You know, can you um, brush your teeth? Yeah. And you salute, yeah. you know, your palm is down. Yep. You dribble a basketball. Yeah. Um, but no, with Roddick, um, you know, coming back to something you said earlier about Braden, be your own serve the net. Vic used to say, your serve, it's like you're throwing up a grenade and running <laughs> underneath it. You know, I mean, kids aren't going to serve and volley because they have no serve and they have no volley. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's not, oh, the rackets have changed. Plus they want to win at an early age. Yeah. Plus, you know, kids today, they're not connected that much with older players that play doubles. You know, say the way it used to be, you'd be playing some doubles. I, you know, I started playing tennis late. I can remember playing tennis with Wayne Saban, who is a uh, former top 10 player in the world. So he's in his 60s. I'm in my 20s, and we were buddies. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I loved hanging around with Wayne Saban. And, you know, you'd be around someone like that, and you, you didn't go to the net they would just tell you but now it's like everybody's got to be happy they're our client Mm. you know it's fun for everybody (laughs) and i mean it's it's becoming a lost art how to achieve faster ragged head speed after fixing technique where's our ceiling well you know one thing about technique when you put someone back in a cognitive stage 
They have to reprocess. Mm-hmm. You know, like when a little kid is, you know, say they're right-handed and they're learning to write, and they know they write with the right hand, and the teacher says, "Okay, raise your right hand," and they go, and they go like this. And they, mm-hmm. oh, this is my right hand. <laughs> um, people have to go back to a cognitive stage when they're making changes, so they they just automatically slow down. You know, they have to reprocess. So you hear that all the time, racket speed, racket speed, racket speed. You're going to have to get racket speed. We've had people look at our training tapes, our educational clips. I don't like the way they teach. There's no racket at speed. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, the kid is 10. <laughs> Secondly, didn't you see the post, or I should say the pre-film? Pre, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the kid you know, is, is almost doing a 360. Yeah. They have no chance of being able to play the game at a high level. Yeah. For me, so, oh, sorry. I was just going to say that, you know, like that snap down drill, the toss out in front. A lot of it too is just an attitude. It all adds up to having regular speed. You know, yeah. the, the kinetic chain, ground reaction force, um, where the toss is, um, is the palm down. When it comes, are they taking that breath out? Um, yeah. But then also too is that you know people say that about Roddick for forever is he's got the attitude. Uh, he's going to hit it. He's yeah. not pushing anything. Yeah. Um, with um, you know, maybe he was a speed freak. In other words, he's the kind of kid who likes a roller coaster. You know, the kid who doesn't want to like the roller doesn't like the roller coaster. He's probably <laughs> not going to the net either. Yeah, kid who doesn't like the roller coaster is probably not really pushing that second serve. Yeah, uh, Rod Laver. I mean, people just need to understand this. You're just imparting more spin. You're swinging fast on the second serve. Right. But Laver used to say, "If I can't get one out of two in, I don't deserve to win the point anyway, mate." <laughs> yeah. And you know, people just you know, there's that's why you have to study and study and study and say, okay, you know. Rod Laver? Okay, I think I'm going to listen to what Rod Laver says. Yeah. No, I think for me on that question, um, you know, how do you achieve faster racket head speed? After, say you have perfect technique, it's really going to come down to making sure your body is fit. You know, your fit body, you're flexible, so all those things. And with, with the serve, the kinetic chain can work at their maximum. So, No, Jack Kramer used to always say that, is that your abs, if you don't have strong abs, you're not going to be doing well on the serve, especially yeah. if you have to play a singles and a doubles and then another singles, another yeah. doubles. You, sometimes you can play junior tennis, play four matches in one day. So, um, yeah, lots of things. But um, if someone starts the right way, they're building myelin. You know, we always tell kids, and it's, you know, it's like, for me, it's like fingernails across the blackboard. You know, well, that was a good one. That's a bad one. That's a good one. That's a bad one. Yeah, good Especially with the surf. Man. You know, we have a couple of young kids. Uh, you know, Matt Clure is um, a coach we spend a lot of time with. His young daughter is out here. She's eight years old. And, and you know, she's hitting the ball and it's going not where she wants it to. But it's amazing when you when the little kid does it the wrong way, the ball goes in the box and they think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they just think that we're crazy. They know that the ball is supposed to go in the box. Yeah. And then so they're trying to go with continental and palm down. So Yep. Um Yeah. Um another question here. Can you discuss the follow through of the hitting arm after after impact, after pronation? I think you know, the first thing is it's gonna go out to the right you know, more on a slice or more on a kick serve or a topspin serve. So that's the first thing is it's going to go out towards the right. If you're right-handed to the left, if you're left-handed and then comes down across your legs. I think of Vic, uh, 
with the oversized rackets when they first came out and he said, yeah, now people are going to hit both shins instead of just, <laughs> instead of just one. So people get tight and they, you know, they try not to hit their legs, but they end up hitting their legs because they get tight. But if you're loose, it's yeah. just, it's going to go out to the right and then so, naturally come back down. Yeah. So for the listeners, hit your shins. Um, I can remember on more than one occasion, some adult players, they put the uh, soccer shin pads on when they, put, when they would play because they were going to hit their shins. Um, <laughs> With, uh, yeah, crazy. All through. Uh, please explain the advantage of power X finish over the non-dominant arm behind like Murray. And I made a video about this actually today um, on Andy Murray, the way his left arm goes back. And, and so you could check that out on Instagram. Basically, you're going to bring that left arm in. Eventually, you know, tucks in and stops the left side and the right side accelerates. You just don't want to do it too quickly, too soon. Well, they're tied in that in, in that last comment, arm out. If you hang on to the ball longer with your tossing arm, if you do your abs, you want all the forces going up and out to the right. Yeah. Right um, when I first, as a young coach, um, heard uh, Braden talk about deceleration, acceleration principles, that you know, I thought, like most coaches, that, okay, the arm's going to end up against your chest, against your stomach, so you pull it down. Hmm. You don't want to pull it down. You're, if you just were to think, if you're right-handed, you think about your left elbow. The first position, your left elbow is going to be up and it's going to stay there because you need to have the power line. All the force is going up to the right. You need to decelerate the left side. The left side is going to work like a reactive brake. Mm-hmm. But then when you propel yourself to the net, you even, to, even just to balance yourself, but you're going to pull the left elbow back to have the right hip go forward. Mm-hmm. So it's when it happens. It's always take care of the serve first. Yeah. Take care of the movement second. That's why a lot of people, they freak out. They break like glass. We tell them to go to the net. And what they do is they're thinking, all right, I'm going to go to the net. I'm going to run first and serve second. No, you have to hit the serve first and then go to the net. Yeah. So it's, you know, ideally the power X, if they're, they're just, their body's just uncoiling and all the energy is taking them upward that the power X is up high. It's not down to the side. Yeah. I'll take Andy, couple- Andy Murray. Yeah. Um, or even like this guy today, he's so, he's so fun to watch Yannick center. Mm-hmm. If you watch with a naked eye, you watch with the untrained eye. People think that when they like an Andy Murray center, that the left arm going back, that's the secret sauce. Yeah. That's where they get their power. Yeah. And it's same thing on a volley. Ball's already gone. You know, you're Brian Godfrey. Vic had a film of Brian Goffrey, and obviously he could do it. He could hit it. But again, coming back to pros, and this is many, many years ago, so he's probably in his 20s. And they said, well, what are you doing? He go, well, first I'm sticking the volley, and then I'm coming underneath for control. And by the time you would come underneath like this, the ball would be 10 feet away from him. Exactly. You know, so that, um, I mean, if you slap yourself on the thigh um, or to feel that, or you put your finger on a hot stove, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just like the ball... It takes uh, 70 milliseconds. So the ball is 7 to 11 feet away from me before you ever feel right. the hit. So it feels real at, really aftershock. Yeah, exactly. I think we got time for a couple more. So if, I, if we don't answer your question, if you're listening and uh, you had a question, we will cover it either at another time or in a video. Um, we got the best tip for helping a player with their kick serve. And for me... Um, it's staying sideways. Obviously, the the toss will come back and slightly to the left if you're a right-handed player. 
But where I see most people fail is they, they look out too quick, which will open the body, or they just never really learn to turn and then stay sideways so that you can have the racket on the inside of your hand, the left side of your hand if you're right-hander, and then be able to hit up. So stay sideways. Well, um, used to be called the Aussie kick. And the when, when they call it the Aussie kick, I used to tell Americans that's because they have so many kangaroos. You want the ball, the, the kick serve. It's like when someone hits a topspin lob, hmm. it bounces like a jackrabbit. You can't chase it. Yeah. So when it comes down to the kick serve, younger players, stage development, they need to develop great mechanics. But then when it comes down to you are going to coil your body, uh, you don't toss over your head. You're not doing the limbo. You're not arching your back. But the right-hander, and obviously the lefty's got to reverse it, the right-handers, they bring their toss in. It should be like the the, your, the athlete, the soccer player, where you're going to hit the ball on their forehead. Or if the ball came down, it would hit you on the chest. It's not going to end up behind your head. But you have to go out and practice and practice and practice. Mm-hmm. Should I say that again? And practice with, it's not a matter of um, you're a young player and you're, okay, I'm going to start hitting slight serves. Most young children playing tennis, they can't direct the serve. I mean, let's be honest. With Vandermeer used to have a great drill on any shot. And he would say, okay, you're out on the court and he's feeding, say me, he's feeding me backhands. It could be serves too. And every time you hit the ball, I'm going to hit 10 shots, whatever that shot might be. But he's giving you a target. He's giving you a spot to hit. So then you have to go out and have to place the 10 balls down. Yeah. People aren't even close. Yeah, they're not even close. <laughs> they're not even close. So when it comes down to, um, do kids actually go out, serve on their own? Do kids use targets? You know, can they hit the target? Most kids, it's a safe bet. They're playing a second serve, right-hander serving to a right-hander. The second serve is going to go to the forehand side of the deuce court. Mm. Because the brain's a fifth second out of the hand. So then they sneak a peek. And then when the eyes go, the head goes, inch for inch, the head's part of the body. Then the left shoulder goes, the body's the leader. Everything's yeah. going that way. And, you know, then they're playing some kid, you know, all they want to do is hit a forehand. That's all they got. And they have an extreme grip. And their coaches said, you know, you've got to step up. you got to really take care of those second serve returns. And, you know, it, it also, too, besides the kid shifting that way, the kid's already been told toss over his head. That'd be like saying, how far can you throw the football, kid? I mean, it's the military term, it's a foobar. It, I won't tell you what the F stands for, but it's either F'd up beyond all recognition or F'd up beyond all repair. That's not only the serve, that's just about every part of tennis. I, again, it ought to be doom and gloom, but I mean, with uh, it, you know, in the sport I grew up in, you had volunteers and you couldn't play unless you could skate. You know, it should be that way. Hey, kid, you can't play unless you can hit the ball. Yeah. And, you know, the Russian mentality, what's the name of the school? Spartak. Spartak. You're going to train 3,000 hours. And not here in America, let's play a game. Let's tell you that you're awesome. You know, we really make fools of kids when they play Little League baseball or, or they're playing Little League soccer. You know, in soccer, only two kids know where to be. Those are the goalies. And people got jerseys and they got spikes and they got the equipment and the mm-hmm. parents are yelling on the sidelines. And, and it's like, why don't you put out some cones and see, you know, let them just scrimmage on their own. They're going to, you know, they'll do the same thing. But when it comes down to training, um, 
with uh, we're in the U.S. We're pretty much in U sports. It's one practice in one game, and it, it really should be ten practices in one game. Yeah, exactly. It's messed up. No, exactly. All right, last question. That's all we've got time for tonight. Why do you ask your players to stay sideways on overheads and serves? Confuse them. Just to confuse the heck out of them. Well, no. we, it, it again, comes back to the other question is that people think when Murray's bringing that hand back and they're opening up, hmm. players feel that way when they're hitting a forehand. I mean, they just feel like, you know, but, but there's this word called consistency. <laughs> you have to be able to keep the ball in the box. But why don't you... Uh, no, I mean, for me, hands? with with um, staying sideways... A few things, but number one that comes to my mind is to decelerate the, if you're a right-handed player, player, to decelerate the left side, to stop that rotation before the hit, and then to accelerate the racket. For me, that's a big one. I think in, in developmental tennis, uh, because kids have a forehand grip, an overhead serve, if you have a forehand grip, you're going to have palm up, you're going to swing straight ahead, and your body's going to face forward. Mm-hmm. Now, over the years, I've had a chance to teach a lot of wheelchair tennis. Those are the real heroes. Mm-hmm. A really good wheelchair player, they're going to put their chair at a 45-degree angle. Yeah. They're going to toss the ball up, and they're going to take their left hand, and they're going to stop the wheel because right. they want to be stabilized to the, yeah. to the ground. And then the racket's going to go this way. Yep. So To the right, up and out and to up the right. And, up, and out, up, and out to, uh, up and out to the right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one question really ties in with the, the next because – that's how mechanics work. You know, I mean, if your car's not running, you can't go out and wash and wax it and think it's going to start. Yeah. And, you know, the mechanics, everything from, um, you know, we tell people, I loved how Sharapova used to do that. I mean, she perhaps did it a little bit too long where even when she's returning, the server sets the pace. Yeah. You know, there's tennis rules and there's tennis etiquette. But she would go back and gather herself, you know, Players come up and they have a ritual. Um, I remember giving a test where you could do it with any stroke, training tennis teachers, college setting, and because we didn't want to be perceived as on underwater basket weaving. So I take four blank pieces of paper, staple, staple them together, and then go, you know, so they got a, you know, it's a three hour exam. Mm-hmm. Go in and say, all right, elaborate upon the return of serve or the serve. So they got to make an outline. So it comes down to what does what does one do in a ritual? Mm-hmm. And Jim Lair, um, when he first came on the scene in the late 70s, what he basically did is studied what players do, top players, what they do in between points. Mm-hmm. Um, so 16 second cure. Well, yeah, that's what they do, you know, after the point. You know, yeah, that, and then so that's where it starts. But you just think of the serve ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids need to practice that. So he said, no, there's two breathing patterns. You're going to come up. You're going to, you're going to take the breath in, take the breath out, announce the score. And I love it when a kid is down five games and they go, love five. Yeah. Most of them, I don't want anybody to know what the score is. <laughs> and um, so they announce the score. And then they um, bounce the ball. They breathe again. But they, before they start to bounce the ball, they look. They confirm and reconfirm. They visualize. Um, the serve is a shot that can be practiced on its own. I mean, you can practice every shot there. You can go out and you know throw up a lob and practice an overhead. Um, the serve is not practiced enough. I think one thing, most people wait to the end of practice. I know I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Is that you wait to the end of practice to practice the serve. Now, the way our practices work is 
you know, so tomorrow morning we're going to start at 8.30. But we have some players are starting at 7. But that's it's optional. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get out there. But I think what <laughs> most kids are doing is um, if the class starts at 9, their parents are bringing them for 9. They're not getting there. You know, Vince Lombardi time, 15 minutes early. We always tell you, if you're five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Yeah. And, you know, and you got to go through all these things. And so then when the coach shows up, you know, the coach doesn't have to watch you go through a dynamic stretch. <laughs> um, but, you know, people will get out what they put in. We always say that people don't get what they expect. They get what they deserve. Hmm. But I would just say one closing comment. Um, you need to have a serve. Yeah. I mean, you just really need to work on your serve. Yeah. It, it should be an asset, not a liability. You know, is your serve a plus, a minus IP? Now, here's something where the little kids, you know, 12s and 14s and younger, that if they should be told your mechanics are getting close to being a plus. Your serve won't be a plus when you're playing 12s and 14s, but your mechanics are a plus. Yeah. Plus is strong, IPs in play, minus is weak. And... Um, and then when kids try to hit the ball hard, it gets worse. Yeah. If you if you try to hit the ball right, you'll be able to hit it hard. If you try to hit the ball hard, you won't hit it right. right. Yeah. So I will shut up. <laughs> well, going <laughs> I don't know where we ended up on that, but the, as far as the question staying sideways, you know, really a forty five degree angle um, is is what we'll teach on a first serve. You're gonna be even more sideways on a on a slice serve or a topspin serve. So I suppose to answer the question. Well, that's the idea, but but the last thing I would say with that is if someone were just to face forward, let's say with an eastern forehand grip, and then you switch to a continental grip, we know that the racket face will change 45 degrees. So then the racket face is facing 45 degrees to the left. So then if you put your body at 45 degrees towards the net post to the right, now the racket will be aligned to the court. So and then obviously to hit to hit with spin being sideways so i think one thing too is that kids open up almost always always yeah so you want them to be ideally at a 45 at the impact point that's where the power line is lower body upper body arm and racket yeah what's at the end of the power line the toss but you just get so tired of telling a kid you're opening up you're opening up it's like <laughs> you know the parrot probably wants a cracker probably wants a cracker probably wants a cracker you know really good kids with their parents their parents just become noise and that's where years ago, and it's really interesting, is that we developed more tennis players in America when kids would just take like a piano player. They take one lesson a week. So kids just sound you out. You know, that's where I, you know, find some ways to turn up the volume. Like, are you kidding me? You're in the million time club. There's two million clubs. Time. There's two million time clubs. You're going to do it a million times the right way, or you're going to be told to do it a million times. Yeah. So I know that I'm very guilty of going sideways. Because if there's if if they're facing the net, they've already gone ninety this way. There's won't yeah. be a forty five. So they stay sideways. So then if they stay sideways, maybe they have a chance. Yeah, one exactly. out of ten to be at a forty five. Yeah. All right. Up. I didn't shut up. Yet. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you did. Now you did. Really appreciate everybody listening. A little bit longer episode too, uh, but hopefully you got some great information there, some ideas, some insights on the serve. You got to have a serve. Did we go like, more than ten minutes? Just a little over 10 minutes. All right. Well, Actually, we went right about what Leo, my wife, said we would go, an hour 20. Oh, that's good. I was aiming for an hour or less, but it's good. Well, you know, the one thing with technology, you know, I'm a whiz kid on uh, my phone now with your help. <laughs> joke, joke, joke. 
is uh, getting the Apple Watch too, man. But if you could listen ten minutes and then come back to it for ten minutes, um, but I think what's most important is what we're sharing. It's not Andy Fitzell stuff, Steve Smith stuff. I mean, there's been a lot of homework done. It goes way back to the seventies. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm Andy Fitzell, your co-host with Steve Smith. As always, thanks again for listening. You can check out our website, greatbasetennis.com. You can find us on social media at Great Base Tennis for more information. Yeah, we appreciate you and get out there and practice. Thanks a lot.